0: Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporter, Brenna Morgan. If you'd like to learn how you can support the podcast through a monthly donation, log on to schooloflast.com forward slash Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, or patreon.com forward slash School of Laughs. Thanks, Brenna. We're also today brought to you by the Clean Comedy Conference. Are you a comedian who's looking to get more paid bookings via corporate gigs, cruise ships, churches, colleges, or clubs? Are you wanting to perform or write for late-night TV? Then the Clean Comedy Conference is the conference for you. The conference will be taking place in San Diego, California, October 13th through the 15th. Early bird registration ends on August 15th, so sign up today at cleancomedyconference.com. As a special offer to School of Laughs listeners, use promo code Laughs to save $10. Again, go to cleancomedyconference.com today.
1: Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show.
0: this is the podcast my name is Rick Roberts and thanks again to our sponsors the clean comedy conference and Brenda Morgan who's supporting us through patreon patreon is a way that you can support the podcast through a monthly donation so if that's something that speaks to you and you're finding some value in this podcast please check that out at patreon.com forward slash school of last we've got a great episode today the author of don't wear shorts on stage Rob Durham joins us today to talk about his comedy journey from very beginning back in the early days in Columbus Ohio when I I first worked with him and all the way through the St. Louis days, where he is currently, and his transition out of comedy full-time into teaching, with comedy being his side hustle. So we're going to go through a lot of cool information with Rob. He wrote a book on basically how to prepare for your first open mic, what comics need to know when they first take the stage, and it's very helpful. I've read through it, and at the end I'll tell you how you can find it online, all the normal places, Amazon, those kinds of things. But a great fun interview with a friend of mine and a comedian slash teacher, which we both have in common, Rob Durham. Let's get right into it. Well, I'm here with Rob Durham. Rob, how's it going, bud? Good. Doing great. Happy summer. Yeah, man. You doing okay?
1: Yeah, I'm a teacher in the summer, so it's it's great. You been good?
0: Yeah, I've, been, uh, I've had a little vacation, getting ready to go on another little vacation with the uh, I've got an 11 year old son, and we take a man trip every summer for three or four days just ourselves. So that's coming up next week. Yeah, sounds good. Cool, man. Well, I, I met you way back in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, 2000, 2001,
1: I believe. Uh, you remember the first, who was headlining the first show we did together?
0: Oh, man. Give me a clue. Uh,
1: he's, he wasn't the, I think he's gotten better, but he was not the most popular headliner back in the day. Had a tour bus
0: had a tour bus yes wasn't very popular yet had a tour bus
1: mm-hmm wasn't very popular with other comics per se
0: oh it, it <laughs> probably sure yes <laughs> that is correct I do remember that it had the tour bus pulled up behind the yes. bone.
1: he had a bodyguard as well who also uh told me was the white power ranger so oh. <laughs> well, I'm sure that guy's still doing great
0: gotta get credits where you can you know yeah yeah that's funny. So that was at the new Funny Bone then in mm-hmm. 2001. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I remember he had a pretty good-sized turnout, though, didn't he?
1: He did. He had uh, he did a 35-minute set and then a five-minute slideshow where he just name-dropped. Right. And, uh, yeah, he had a writer at the side of the st- – okay. Um,
0: yeah, they, <laughs> still two- fond of it. <laughs> yeah, I remember he did Q&A or something, right?
1: Yeah, that he charged ten- people $10 for a signed headshot.
0: That's right. And I remember it was yeah. mostly like 35-year-old ladies.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was his 35th or 36th birthday because his manager dragged me along to the party store to buy him balloons and stuff.
0: Oh, man. Sorry, yeah. Gerald. I didn't know it was that bad. <laughs> oh, it was,
1: it was It was a tough, you know, as an MC, I'm like, wow, well, I get to open for Polly Shore. And then by the end of the week, I was like, that wasn't worth it at all.
0: No, man. And uh, how long you, had you been doing comedy at that point? Not too long. Uh,
1: probably a year, year and a half. Right. Yeah.
0: And you did a lot of uh, hosting there. You went on the road a little while, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I got spoiled there because, you know, Tuesday nights would sell out uh, when the economy was still great. And, um, you know, they papered the room a lot. But, yeah, Columbus was good to me starting out. And then uh, yeah, I got into the road more 2003 and four, and quit my day job. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> then poverty came. <laughs> then the reality of the industry came was. The economy crashed. Gas went to three fifty a gallon.
0: Yeah tell, yeah, tell me about some of those early road gigs. Anybody you worked with that was fun? You know?
1: Oh boy! You know, it's it's weird. The, the I think the people you work with first you remember more, just because it's such a fresh experience. Uh, my first MC week, not in Columbus, was with Dan Davidson and Keith Albertstadt.
0: Oh, that's like a dream week.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, this is fun. These comics are great. And then. You know, a few weeks later, I worked a different. You know, I think I was down in Cincinnati, and the uh, headliners didn't really want to have anything to do with me. And, but, you know, those guys, those guys were letting me sleep on the couch in the condo. And back in the old condo days, there aren't a lot of condos left in comedy clubs, are there?
0: It seems like they've gone more hotel. You know, the condo yeah. used to be an investment that the club would make. So they would recoup some serious coin if they ever closed down. They'd have all that equity in the condo. Yeah. You know, when they when they owned the condo outright. I remember like I think it was Wichita, Kansas. They bought a house. Yeah, yeah. The
1: Looney bins all had those houses. Right. Those were those weren't bad. Um Wichita no. wasn't wasn't too bad. But uh, yeah, you could do your laundry there. That was the best part about the Looney bin gigs is you could actually do your laundry <laughs> on site.
0: Yeah, not bad, man. That's cool. So you did the road for a little while but then it like you said, the economy kinda got tight. Mm-hmm. Tell you, when, when gas hit over three bucks, I felt bad for all the road comics. I mean, I still travel and do a lot of gigs, but you know, a majority of the time I'm flying now, so I I paid for that. You know, yeah, with the increased ticket cost. And then, what led you to teaching? Like, what was the transition? Uh,
1: well, while I you know, I moved to St. Louis in '05, and you know, I was still trying to get full time as a comedian, but that even you know, I was featuring at a few places, but not a lot and um you know i met my wife we were just dating and she's like look are you gonna be broke and gone your whole life i was like no (laughs) (laughs) and you know i'd been substitute teaching during the day all those years and um you know i really really enjoyed the classroom and it's it kind of feels like a comedy show you get to talk all day and you get an audience whether they listen or not and um you know, I talked to a couple other teacher friends and they're like, yeah, it's not a it's not a bad gig. And I was like, you know, I think I could still do both. So I, you know, I, I signed up uh University of Missouri St. Louis. I already had an English degree from Ohio State. So I went to uh UMSL, Missouri St. Louis, and I could not they said, Yeah, you can get certified to teach in a year and a half. So I got student loans, which I'm still paying off, and uh I did that. And you know, the first year of teaching i got hired was brutal it was an inner city teaching gig um <laughs> it was rough <laughs> yeah now what uh, and then
0: what level you know, was that what grade level
1: uh, mostly juniors and seniors they um uh mostly good kids but you know it was a charter school that didn't have its stuff together it's closed down since then and you know being a rookie anyway it was it was really tough so
0: sounds like a sitcom waiting to happen did, yeah, it was. Did you feel like <laughs> Howard Hessman and his one of his? Or, or? It was
1: brutal. You know, I started. You know, the first the first week, I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to change these kids' lives." It's going to be like dangerous minds. By the third day, I'm just driving home crying, like, "This
0: is terrible. Why do they hate me?"
1: And I was in therapy.
0: These kids have changed my life.
1: Yeah, they all have yeah. dangerous
0: minds. <laughs>
1: yeah, and then you know that that school closed, so I had another year to you know do other weird jobs and more subbing and. And then I was able to get hired as a teacher at a really nice school um, in the Rockwood District in the western part of St. Louis, and uh, that's why I started featuring more in St. Louis. And they had you know a couple clubs around here, so I've I got I get more work or just as much work as a teacher <laughs> than I did when I was you know I had nothing else to do. So it, it's frustrating like that. But I think now that I have this full time job, it gives me a lot more to write about and to joke about.
0: Yeah, have you found like a lot of lot of material in the teaching that translates to the comedy? Yes,
1: yeah, they actually let me do a teacher appreciation night this year, and I did about I think twenty five, close to twenty five minutes of just straight teaching stuff, and teachers got in free, so that's going to be the first part of my CD. Uh, The teachers were a little tight on some of the edgier stuff, (laughs) so I still have to record the second half. I'd like to have a better second half when I talked about you know my wife
0: and other things, but. well, yeah, it's, it was. Uh, it's a good stick to have. Can you give me an example of an edger thing that that they kind of tightened up on that you didn't think was that edgy? Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I
1: talk about um, you know my wife is always steaming vegetables and uh, you know she's she steamed a pound and a half of cauliflower. It's like you know what that smells like. You know, even our Indian neighbors, like, all right, you win too much. <laughs> And just bringing up, I think that um, any other race, they kind of feel like, "Hey, we shouldn't be laughing about that." Or
0: yeah, you know, just I can see. I mean, it's a funny joke, no doubt. But there's there's a lot of tension over in that area. Yeah, yeah. We have. I've definitely with the uh, the Michael Brown thing,
1: um, the jokes because I I did a lot of jokes about teaching inner city and the the different cultures, and they've really tightened up on those in the last few years because of that. Uh, there are, And it's not just the racial stuff. I've noticed audiences, I'm and I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not super edgy or anything, but uh, jokes that worked five years ago get a lot more moans than laughs, uh, it seems.
0: Yeah, people aren't even willing to kind of open a discussion anymore, it seems like they've got their point of view, and if you even start talking about it, they're just shutting you out.
1: Yeah, yeah, the whole boundary or the whole immunity we used to get, well, it's a comedy club, uh, that's disappearing. And, you know, that's, I'm not saying that's wrong or right. You know, it just makes it more challenging for us to write, and we need to be a little more clever in that. So,
0: yeah, no doubt. And so, and you teach English, is that correct? Yes,
1: yeah. Yeah, I teach um, 10th graders, and then I get to teach creative writing as well. And then this fall, they're giving me a class called sports literature. So <laughs> they're like, do with that, you know, here's here some books that, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, I need to. We'll watch some thirty for thirties on
0: ESPN,
1: and um, you yeah. know, read some fun sports books. So. Get
0: the Maurice Clarett story going. Maybe you <laughs> yeah, write a sequel to that. and See how that finishes out.
1: We <laughs> could bring him in.
0: Do you ever use um, comedy in your teaching? Like, and and like specifically reference like this is something the comedians do to teach your students in the creative writing class how to get a laugh.
1: Uh, actually, we I do one of our assignments in creative writing is we do have stand up comedy week um, on Monday. I you know, I tell them, I go, let's, we'll just work on punchlines. I said the, in our schools called Marquette, the Marquette cafeteria, write the slogan. Then they just write the the slogan Marquette parking lot. And then they write that. And then the next day I, uh, I get a bunch of newspapers and magazines from the library. And I, you know, I show them, um, like a Conan O'Brien monologue and show them how you set up this, the set up punchline, set up punchline. And so some of them really pick it up. And then, um, you know we I kind of let them workshop the jokes with each other. and then on Friday we actually have an open mic night in my classroom. I I bring in a microphone, I don't plug it in. But I bring in a microphone, a stool, a mic stand. I turn the lights off, except for you know I try and get somewhat of a spotlight. And I put up a you know we have a smart board behind us. so I put up a brick background back there. and I, I bring them up like an open mic. I am see it, and I said, just do two jokes, just attempt to. I'm not grading. If you're funny or not, just just attempt to so that's and fun are
0: you surprised at some of the, the results you get from that
1: yeah they always seem to uh push the limits on that and you know there's seniors within a week of graduating so i let them get away with it but there's you know you'd think the innocent ones are gonna you know have some nice clean humor and then they <laughs> <That's> surprise <laughs> yeah but you know they i give them a prize at the end if they win we have clap offs and things so and i do i do a little bit of of what i can that's appropriate but they um Couple of them have showed up at shows before. That's that's always interesting.
0: (laughs) That's cool. Do you do you like turn off? Tell them to turn off their cell phones and no recording any of this, so it doesn't get you fired. Oh my,
1: yeah, that's been uh, a bigger and bigger issue. Is you know the yeah, it's one thing you know have your phone off so you pay attention, but now they you know I apparently I'm on Snapchat a a lot. (laughs) Oh no. Um, Yeah, they'll they know what happens and. You know, they'll send answers to each other. The these group chats are what's are what's making it really tough to teach anymore.
0: I haven't even thought about that. So yeah, know, they can They're all like, share yeah. answers during a yep. test. Yeah, Here, here's the essay to the final.
1: You know, and I'm I'm too lazy to make a different question for each class. So.
0: Oh man, I wonder if you can get. Uh, I know when theaters used to buy these cell phone jammers. And they would put him in a theater and they did that for a while until they found out some of these guys were using their cell phone as nine one one responders and they missed a call one time.
1: Yeah. They said that's illegal to do.
0: Mm, that'd be too bad because you could really
1: I know. I might still try and sneak one in, I
0: don't know. Pretty quickly you could find out who's using it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. There are cert- certain rooms in the building where it's really tough to get a signal, but my I have a window, so that's the trade off.
0: Yeah, maybe I bet if you pl- put some magnets underneath their desks, they would throw them <laughs> off just enough. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's 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 definitely a struggle. So Always a step ahead. So uh, one thing I want to talk about today, and I definitely want my listeners to check out, is your book. And was that something you wrote in that first year or two when you made the transition out of full-time stand-up to teaching? Or tell me how, about the evolution. I
1: started that uh, the school year I was teaching Inner City. Yeah, that February— I had been um, kind of brainstorming. I was frustrated because, you know, I wasn't even getting I was, I had committed my life to stand up and I was going to open mic night in St. Louis at the funny bone. And there was a movie that came out that made it seem like everybody could do comedy. I think it's some Adam Sandler movie and maybe Seth Rogen or somebody. And so we, we would have 50 to 60 guys show up to sign up every week. And I, you know, week after week, I couldn't get on. And, um, I was like, you know I, kind of, this is the reason I moved to St. Louis, and I kept seeing the same mistakes over and over, and I was like, how can I benefit from this? And, you know, naturally, as a teacher, too, you know, some people are like, why do you care how other people do? It's like, well, as a teacher, I just, I want to help.
0: You can't help it, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, so you, you just keep seeing the same mistakes every week, so I, you know, I started writing that, um, in the fall, I guess, kind of the outlining it. And then, yeah. And, the the winter I really worked on every weekend, I would try and write a few thousand words and I finished the first draft that summer. And then, revise, you know, I took it down the, to the pool at our apartment every day in a notebook and revised, went through it three times with a red pen and, um, then got a real editor and then it came out in December of 2011.
0: And can you, can you give us a couple of, uh, Names of the chapters and maybe a, a, a tip from each one of those. I think, I think it's really thorough.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the book's called uh, Don't Wear Shorts on Stage. Um, Which is the yeah. best, you know, if you, if you only do that. You'll be invited. Exactly. That's one of the, uh, people ask, you know, why is that the title? That's one of the rules at the St. Louis Funny Bone. We just thought, I was like, well, you know, everything else was called, you know, Comedy Bible and the Guide to Comedy and just generic names. So I I thought that would be a unique thing.
0: That Comedy Bible, when you get to Revelations, it's, yeah, it's just the New Testament. (laughs) Yeah, you spend six weeks open for Polly Shore. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, uh, it's <laughs> um, yeah,
1: the six chapters are starting out, uh, part two is beyond open mic, part three, I think the most important chapter of it is MC work, that's that's the longest and most thorough one, part four is expanding your career, part five is becoming a feature act, and then part six covers the road. Let's so, talk about
0: the MC and then ex- and expanding to a feature, I think it's where a lot of my listeners are.
1: Yeah, um, well, just to get to MC, people like, you know, how do I do I? I would suggest you have to kill an open mic at that club every week. And then when maybe they're noticing you, ask for a guest set during a real show, uh, figure out which night your club does guest sets. It's not going to be first show Saturday. Um, and then, you know, once you do a, a, a good enough guest set, I think that's when you get uh, the chance of that. Um, so, yeah, it covers, covers that. The, the All the other, you know, obviously the announcements, are important but it covers you know can i talk to the comics before the show what should i ask what do i need to figure out um you know what if there's a bachelorette party uh how does an mc's set vary from a regular set
0: let's talk about that for a second cuz that, that, that's a question i recently got actually and was going to answer myself i'll kind of give you you give me your take on it and then i'll kind of give you my take
1: all right um well, I remember, uh, it was, I think Rob Haney taught me this. It was my first week, uh, working at Wiley's. I just went up and went straight into my act. <laughs> He's like, Hey, 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 we're trying to sell some food and drinks here. So kind of welcome everybody to the club, you know, suggest this and that. And then, um, you know, pause, you know, kind of put a little timestamp there and then start your act. go into it that way. Um, you know the toughest part about MCing is a lot of times the the show, the the audience isn't ready. They're still ordering, they're still talking. They don't know what's normal for a show yet, so they're like, "Yeah, I guess we talk through this." It's no, you really gotta. And that, you know that's the benefit in a club. You know, there's usually a loud music and they turn the lights out. You can tell, but at a bar show, you go up there, you're the sacrificial lamb. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why I always bring an MC on the road. <laughs> you know, even if you can just pay him fifty bucks to do five or ten minutes, they
0: it's worth. They're it. that buffer. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that the best way to kind of, especially like say a bar gig where they don't even know what's going on, it, and it seems kind of hacky, but just buy a round of applause suggestions, like buy a round of applause. How many's here for the first time? So the clapping at least gets the attention from the people who weren't paying attention. Yeah. And you kind of do that. You know, three or four of those pretty quickly, you can kind of get their focus. And then lead into whatever announcements, if they're trying to get a drink special sold or a food special, upcoming events. And when you finally, you'll notice that one little hush where you finally get everybody. Yeah. Then you slide into material. And I always try to pick a joke that was most relevant to the situation. It almost seemed like it wasn't even a joke yet. Uh, I would often write jokes about the drink specials and make maybe make up a joke about a drink special. So as I'm doing that, I'm doing my... New joke about the drink special or whatever, and then now they're laughing and they've heard a set punch line, and I can take them from there.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, definitely. The, yeah, the transition into that is um, is, is very important, I, I think, and because you can waste your best one or two jokes if you try and do them up front before they're listening, and if those don't work, then you just get discouraged, and they can see the the you know the sadness in your face <laughs> yeah. after that.
0: Yeah, and short material too, shorter jokes, I think up front. Yes. One one,
1: two punches, yeah. Which you almost need for um, you know, any set, I think, is you gotta you gotta it took me five or it took me till I was married to to really get a good opening joke. Um,
0: I I thought you were gonna say it took me until I was married till I realized I should just talk in (laughs) short sentences because that's all i have ever get to say.
1: (laughs) Well that too, (laughs) yes. Uh, It talks about introductions, too. I think, you know, if you go to a one-nighter, the bar manager wants to introduce you, and he'll say your name first, and he'll stumble through some stuff. Mention, you know, he'll just recite your bio in a weird way with no enthusiasm. And so, you know, the introduction for other comics is is really important, too.
0: Um, What would you tell people when, you know, once you kind of get to know comics, they're like, hey, say whatever you want. But I I find it better just to have them give me two credits. And let's roll with it. Like, instead of – I don't want to get there and ramble what I know about the comic. And I've had comics go on stage. Even recently, she she went up. She was like, this guy does a great Barney Fife. And, like, she kind of, like, burnt a surprise that I had. Yeah. And, it, and that night I wasn't even going to do that joke. So all of a sudden I was kind of thrown under the bus. And it worked out okay. But it's like if I just told her, say, these two things only, it'd yeah. Be better. I learned
1: that the hard way. Um... I was when I was MC in Columbus we had a guy do a guest set and before ahead of time I'd heard he had written for Seinfeld for the show and um probably a over over exaggerated credential but he w- he was you know somebody knew about it and so I put that in his em- in his intro and one of the other doormen said as soon as I said that he was like oh no cuz he wasn't he was new to stand up <laughs> so I set the bar very high for him <laughs> to do that. And yeah, people have stepped on mine too. I used to, um, do a joke about looking like Jeff Goldblum and they mentioned that, or I like to tell them that I'm a teacher or when I had braces, you know, I would, I would let me tell the joke. Um, so yeah, if you're, I'm seeing, don't, don't improvise anything, say only what they tell you to say. And if, if they don't give you anything, then yeah, tours, clubs and colleges, you know, it's always a default generic because honestly, the crowd doesn't care a lot. About your credentials, but if you mess them up, then it does become a big deal.
0: Right. I don't even care about my credentials as much as I just want them to stop talking for <laughs> yeah. one or two seconds. You know, and when you're headlining, especially that break from the feature act, the MC comes back up, everybody just went to the bathroom. Like there's yeah. a third of the crowd sometimes at a, at a bar gig, especially, are gone. So that's And now you can't, smoke, you can't
1: smoke inside either, so they all take smoke breaks as well.
0: Yep, but they will still sit there and text.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> that that they can do right in front. Yeah.
0: Now, when you have a bachelorette party, how would you approach it as an MC, and how would you approach it as a stand-up that's later in the show? Do, would um, you would you approach it differently?
1: As an MC, if you know the headliner, hey, does this headliner like to do crowd work? Um, you need to judge that bachelorette party going in. Are they super blitzed? Are they? can I already tell they're going to be a problem or some of them behave? I think in the last few years, it seems like they behave a little better. I don't know if that's just St. Louis, which is very unlikely, but, um, it just, I I think you got to kind of play it by ear to see, and you can even ask the headliner, Hey, do you want me to get them out of the way or can, do you want to handle them? And I, I think a lot of times now the headliners are like, yeah, go ahead and, you know, if you just acknowledge them even up front at the end of the year MC set, all they want is a little attention and then, you know, maybe one little cut on them and they'll realize, hey, maybe we should shut up. But you know, just like any other group of drunks, um, sometimes there was a behavior issue. i I had a girl uh I was at Fairview Heights I'm seeing and uh, one of the girls passed out at eight oh six PM on no. the table. Oh no <laughs> so, so
0: there's good and bad there.
1: Yeah. But, um, you know, if they have all of those props that they bring, you know, maybe the club's usually pretty good about removing that. And clubs are a lot more helpful, I think, with them.
0: Yeah, you know, there were some clubs back in the day, You know, the other club in Dayton, where they really, that was their selling point. They wanted every bachelorette party in town to come there. It, yeah. it just got to be brutal. Um, and I'm with you. You know, I think the MC, check with the headliner, and if they don't want to deal with it, address it a little bit early on, and then say, hey, listen, that that was your little time right now. The rest of the show, you're with yeah. the rest of the audience. Sometimes you gotta make it really clear. You make yeah. make him off as a jerk, but I tell you it's a lot better to shut it down early than to let it swell up. When the comic there's every comic after a year, they feel like they're ready to feature, but it's not the case, right? So what makes what makes it more clear in your mind that I'm ready to feature and get out of this M C spot?
1: Uh it's kind of like when you're in a relationship, and you're like, oh, I messed that last one up. I didn't know what I was doing. Then you go to the next one. You're like, all right, I know what I'm doing. I'm ready for this. This is good. And then you break it. You're like, no, that was stupid. What am I doing? <laughs> it's been tough, it's, hasn't it, Rob? <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> kind of the way you should look at your your material. If you don't feel like your material a year ago was or what you were doing, every couple of years, at least through the first six or seven, I would say, at least, then you're not progressing. Um yeah, I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that with, I don't want to say our, our scene is, you know, comedy is watered down, but there's a lot more venues where people can rise through the ranks quicker. And they're like, yeah, I have 30 minutes. Yes, you have 30 minutes of jokes, but you have 30 minutes of MC level jokes, meaning on a scale of one to 10, maybe they are four or five and four or five for 30 minutes is ew. Right. So not only does your your set need to be longer, but those jokes need to be twice as funny, and the the laughs per minute really has to go up. I mean, you need to kill. You know, Nick Griffin explained this to me really well, and he made me kind of analyze my entire set. It was 2005. I quit my day job, and I was like, oh, my, yeah, I have a lot to work
0: on still. Yeah, Nick's a great wordsmith, and every time I've seen him on Letterman and, and the late shows, he just destroys it, doesn't he? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I reference him a few times in my book. He's he's very uh, real about about comedy. He's you know, he's kind of the the person I mention at the end of it that that's not to be a downer, but he you know he he's real about what what how terrible this industry can be. So
0: it can definitely be rough. I'm, I like what you said there about the thirty minutes because you know, and again, I think. It was Eddie Brill that said, like your act right now is just like a vehicle. And when you're an MC, you're driving a beat up Honda C R V or something that's, that's getting you there. But you can't pull that Honda C R V into the feature spot at an improv. You need to be in a better vehicle that's more sound and flashier and got all the bells and whistles. And when you're headlining, you gotta pull up in a Jaguar. And even though you can talk for sixty minutes, maybe one year into it, it's not you're not yeah. the vehicle isn't there yet. Yeah. And you
1: could have the material, you know, you could have that three minutes of material, but you have to undergo all those terrible gigs that build the experience like, OK, I've seen this before or, hey, I can spot what, you know, what's going to be wrong with this room before I even go up there. And you ju- you just you have to build those instincts up. And it's just impossible. It takes years and years. And, I, you know, comics are frustrated. They're Like, this is what I want to do with my life. It's like, all right, get a job while you're learning. And they don't want to do that.
0: Yeah, the you can tell a comic that's weathered at all. Like it's almost reckon it to like Clint Eastwood's face. Like if you look at his face when he first started acting, it was okay. <laughs> yeah. But look at how much he has in his face without even saying something. He could just move one eyebrow and it changes the entire mm-hmm. storyline of the movie. That's that's how how aged and weathered and and matured he is as an actor in comics. That's something you can't put on the on the fast track. You know, you've got to go out there and do those gigs or Sometimes I get asked, like, where are the best open mics in town." I'm like, "The next one," because you need them all. Even the worst ones with their six comics standing in a corner, and you know, until you've met there a couple hundred times, just keep going.
1: Yeah, you don't know how good. You can't measure how great a comic is in a good room. It's in the really bad room that you know. I used to. Um, oh shoot, I can't remember his name, but my one of my worst gigs ever was Muncie in the Inn, and I was featuring, and I just. One table liked me, and they were very—you know—it was very rednecky. But then the headliner went up there and adjusted, and just like that,
0: he killed. And I was like, "How is he able to?" You know, right? It's just—I don't know. There's those eye-opening moments. It's almost like when, when I had got my guitar like le- last year of high school, and I went to college, and I thought I knew a couple things on the guitar. And somebody yeah. picked up my guitar and played like Eruption from Van Halen, and then handed it back to me. I'm oh, like, <laughs> I didn't know those notes were on this guitar. <laughs> yeah. And when you see I, a great headliner, it's like that too. Like there, there's nights nice where you, you know where you, where you thought you killed even, and then all of a sudden yeah. the next guy goes up, and it's like, oh, there were a lot more laughs in this room that I didn't get.
1: Yeah, yeah. What what is nice is if you don't do well, then the headliner struggles as well. It's like, okay, it wasn't.
0: Me. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. me. Maybe I dug a deeper hole for him than he was used to. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. But. um A lot of that, too, is you see the little tricks that headliners do, you know, mention something local, uh, mention something in the room, which, you know, it doesn't always work. But, um, you know, the one time, not to name drop, I got I had the honor of working with Maria Bamford at Missouri State a few years ago, quite a few years ago, I think, oh, eight, maybe. And uh, it was in their theater and I did all right. But, you know, and then she got out on stage and she's like, we turn the house lights off, please. I was like, "Oh my, I didn't realize the whole theater was lit. No one, you know, that never works when oh they can God. see themselves and that." And clicked it off, you know, of course she killed for an hour, got a standing ovation. And I was like, "You know, I I, I guess I'm, I'm not a college kid anymore, huh?"
0: Yeah, that's true too, you know, as you as you grow in and out of your material stuff resonates better mm-hmm. at certain points in your life and you got to, It's almost like a snake shedding its skin. There's a f- fifth analogy in the past three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you got to kind of. Now it's this. If I'm going to survive, it looks like this, and I have to get rid of some of that stuff that was holding me back.
1: Yeah. What's interesting is I, um, you know, I have all these high school teacher jokes. I work. I do Deja Vu out of Columbia, which is on University of Missouri.
0: Which is and- a comedy club for those people who are yeah. outside <laughs> yes. of the area. No, but.
1: Um- <laughs> You know, it used to be when I started there in 07, I was like, "Yeah, college kids, young stuff." And then now I'm like the old man making fun of people their age. And I was like, "I need to adjust a few things there." But they, you kind of, you definitely, you can't hide your age with your material on stage, So
0: No, it's, it's you got you got to be authentic, and it's pretty hard to pull that old material off when you're a much older guy.
1: It just, yeah, yeah, it just I've seen
0: sick. comic. Yeah, I've seen headliners there like, remember when the playground was all jagged nails? And these kids are like, no, we're 21. Know, <laughs> right. so. It's true. It's always been like the soft ground rubber mulch <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, the wax on the, on the <laughs> chain so they don't burn your hands. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty amazing. Well, where can people find uh, your book, Don't Wear Shorts on Stage? It's a book that, you know, I thought about writing a book like this. I'm like, well, well Rob kind of summed it all up here. So I'd like to recommend it to my listeners.
1: Oh, thank you. Um it's on Amazon if you want a paperback. You can go to com. if you would like a signed copy and go through my PayPal account. Shipping is free. Um because it's a few more it's a few more bucks that it all equals out. I should. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you're uh, if you like ebooks, it's on iTunes, Kindle, Nook, Kobo and all those formats. So I <laughs> don't have an audio version people have asked for them like no i'm not no it's a reference it's kind of a you know nobody
0: (laughs) hey i'll do an audio version for you i'll read it (laughs) all right you can you can strum in the
1: background and
0: yeah play a little guitar in the the background a little bit well that's great stuff rob thank you very much for letting us know about your website the book is called don't wear shorts on stage i highly recommend it thanks for being with us today thank you Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Rob Durham, the author of Don't Wear Shorts on Stage. I'll link in the show notes to everywhere you can pick that book up so you can order it today and read through the rest of it. As you can tell, Rob's got a lot of great information. It was fun catching up with Rob. I saw him one of his first times on stage, I guess it was, back there in the old Columbus, Ohio days. If you're in the Nashville area and you would like to take the writing class, it is coming up very soon, Mondays, August 1, 8, and 15 from 6 to 8 p.m. That's in Nashville at SIR, Studio Instrument and Rental Facility, uh, right down the street from Zanies. If you're in the Nashville area and you're thinking about taking the class, maybe it's time. I'm thinking about maybe condensing the classes to just twice a year, like a weekend boot camp. So this would be a great chance to get to it this year. For sure, I'll know I'll be teaching this writing class in August. I'm not sure after that because the schedule is getting pretty heavy. So find out more about that at schooloflast.com You can check out the live comedy class link on there. And if you're not in the area and you want to take the online writing class it's over 46 videos almost 4 hours in length total over 115 have taken that course online now and the feedback's been great they get a lot out of it. They can do it on their own time and that's definitely worth your time to check out especially if you're finding yourself kind of stuck with what you've got with your writing style right now and you think your jokes need to be a little funnier. There's a reason that they're not as funny as they can be, and we cover 14 to 15 techniques in this online class to punch your stuff up. Lots of assignments in there. You should generate 8 to 10 minutes of material if you just do the homework in that online class. Again, all the classes you can find out about schoollaughs.com. And lastly, this episode is also brought to you by the Clean Comedy Conference, which takes place this year, October 13th through 15th in San Diego, California. There's an adage in stand-up comedy that clean is green, and that means two things. It means, one, that clean plays everywhere, and two, it can lead to some cash. At this conference, you're going to learn about this from professional comedians and bookers such as Eddie Brill, Jimmy Brogan, Charlene May, Amy Piddle, Tony Calabrese, and Scott Wood and they're going to address how to navigate the challenges of making money as a clean comedian. In addition to working at clean comedy venues, most of these speakers and panelists have written for television and booked clubs, colleges, churches, cruise ships, and late-night TV, such as Letterman. So listen up. You want to check this conference out. The theme for this year is clean isn't a dirty word. Come out and find out for yourself why. Early bird registration ends August 15th, so sign up today at cleancomedyconference.com. And as a thank you to School of Laughs listeners, use promo code Lasts for a special $10 discount. Again, go to cleancomedyconference.com for more information today. Thanks for being with us. I'll talk to you next week.
1: Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.